I'm Wendy Connolly. This is Mojo for Moms, episode 37, Creativity. Mojo means influence, magic power, and more joy. I'm Wendy Connolly. Welcome to Mojo for Moms. I believe that every kid deserves a confident, mentally fit, and joyful mom, and that you deserve to be her. As a life coach, I've designed this podcast to help you get there. Let's begin. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the podcast, and happy Holy Week. So... This weekend was Palm Sunday. The weekend to come is going to be Easter, which means that this is the last week of Jesus' life on earth as we trace it as Christians. So it's a very sacred time of year in my tradition. And I know for my Jewish friends, it's a sacred time as they celebrate Passover. So I love this time. I love the mystery that surrounds this time of year. And I want to share with you a tradition that I do with my family, and then we'll dive into creativity, today's topic. On Palm Sunday, our family does what's called a Seder meal. Now, the Seder meal comes from the Jewish tradition. It harkens all the way back to the Exodus story as the Jewish people escaped slavery in Egypt. They were led out by Moses and then by Joshua. So the Seder meal is just a plate that has all different kinds of food that are symbolic of the different events during the Exodus story. And so we do the same thing, but with the last week of Jesus' life. So we invite our neighbors over, and we all join together around a table, and we remember when they waved the palms to welcome Jesus into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. So we actually get palms and then wave them during this part of the ceremony. We have figs on our plates that remind us of when Jesus cursed the fig tree. We toss coins over our shoulders to remind us of uh, the money changers in the temple and how Jesus was angry and turned over the tables. We eat haroset and bitter herbs. This harkens back to the Jewish Seder in which they remember their bitter slavery in Egypt. And this is my favorite part because... When we try to eat the bitter herbs, which is horseradish for us, our faces grow bright red and we get our sinuses all cleared out. And it's kind of a competition to see who can eat the most horseradish. And the kids have a blast with this and it's so much fun. And even the grownups are crying (laughs) because it's so hot. So we love that part. But this is a tradition that really helps us remember all of the events of Holy Week. And if you need a new tradition during Easter, one that really centers your heart around the meaning of what it's all about, then I want to encourage you to go to mojoformoms.com. And if you click on get your free tools, you'll have to scroll down a bit and you'll see a button that says get your free tools. Then you can download um, a printable version of the Seder that I've created for my family that we use every single year. It's really our favorite tradition and it's a great way to infuse your Holy Week with a little more of the holy and sacred. Our other favorite Easter traditions, by the way, are of course dying eggs. We also plant jelly beans in the ground that sprout up as lollipops the next day. And the kids love to follow strings that are attached to their Easter baskets. So their Easter baskets wind up in the backyard, but they have to follow a string from the top of the stairs all the way around the house, around the front yard, all the way to the backyard to find their Easter baskets. So those are some of our favorite things to do. I hope you all have a beautiful Easter or Passover 
or Holi, which just ended, if you are a part of the Hindu tradition, whatever you're celebrating this time of year, I know it's a very special week for so many people. Recently, I led a retreat on creativity, and since this topic is fresh in my mind, today I want to share some ideas that might spark creativity in you, that might break through creative blocks or through writer's block, or just give you permission to be an artist and to see yourself as one. Whether your art is in the form of visual arts, maybe painting or sculpting or graphic design, maybe for you it's gardening. It could be writing. You might be an author or an aspiring one. And by the way, what does aspiring author mean anyway? How is it measured? I'm getting ahead of myself, but if you're writing something, you're an author. You're not aspiring. You're actually doing it. So own your identity there. Maybe you love to cook. You might find creativity in your workplace. I think strategic planning is an incredibly creative and fun task. Your creativity might be in your own home. I can't think of anything requiring more creativity in my own life than being a mom. So I take great creative joy there. The other part of my life that requires a high level of creativity is in my work as a life coach. I get to create every time I'm working with a client and I'm listening to their thoughts. I help them create new thoughts which is so much fun. It's so fun to watch women go, oh, I never thought of it that way. I like to create programs and podcasts, building my website, creating Facebook ads. I'm immersed in creativity every single day, and I love this about what I get to do. So creativity can take many different forms, so many that I didn't even mention here. And I wonder, what is it for you? What are you creating right now if anything at all. And where do you feel creatively blocked too? I hope this episode will address some of these blocks and also spark more inspiration into your creative life. I want to begin with this idea. It's a theological idea called the Imago Dei. And Imago Dei is Latin for image of God. And this is, I believe, why we have such a drive deep within us, within every single human being. There is a deep drive and need to be creative. And I believe it's because of the Imago Dei, which simply is that we are created in the image of God. Now, God who created us is the ultimate creator Therefore, because we're created in the image of the ultimate divine creator, there's creativity within us too. It's in the very DNA of our existence. So that's why I think creativity is so important. When we deny our creativity or when we believe that we're not worthy of being creative, that we're not good enough, all those ideas that sabotage our creativity, they really undermine our joy. Our joy is deeply tied to whether we embrace creativity in our lives. All right, I want to talk about a lot of ideas surrounding creativity right now. And I hope that as you listen, these will help you to think through some of your own ideas around creativity. Now we're going to begin with how we define creativity and our creative identities and success. We're going to move on to some mental blocks to creativity and how to overcome them. And we'll finally end with 
the rhythm of creativity, what I call the create, cleanse, consume cycle. But let's begin with some definitions. I want to start with our reason for creating. What is the reason you create? What is your why? And I know it can be different with every single project. For instance, for me, I create some things to get paid. I also create sometimes to help people. I hope that what I put out into the world can somehow benefit others around me. Sometimes I create because I want to get good at something. I want to become more capable at something. And other times I create for none of those reasons. My deepest why is just for the pure joy of being creative. And that's my favorite reason why. So I just want to ask you, whatever your project is, whatever domain it exists within, what is your reason for being creative? Next, let's define our identity. So first of all, what kind of artist are you? I am a life coach. Maybe you're an author. Maybe you are a mom. And by the way, I don't mean this is your deepest identity. Of course, there's an identity beyond all of this. But sometimes we have trouble owning up to our artistic identity. And I want us to be able to embrace that. So if you were to go up to someone that you didn't know at a cocktail party, I want you to be comfortable saying, I am an artist. I am an author. I am a life coach. I want you to feel comfortable saying it. I want you to practice saying it. Now, the second component of this is who gets to decide that you are an artist? Who gets to decide that you are an author or a coach or whatever it is that you embody, that you are leaning into in your life? Now, you can decide only this board can qualify me as fill in the blank. Only getting published can qualify me as an author, right? I think, however, that it's best when you get to define your own identity. So who gets to decide that I'm a life coach? Yes, I can get certified, and I am. Yes, I went to seminary, but that's not what defines me. You know who gets to decide that I'm a life coach? Only I get to decide that I'm a life coach. I want you to have that form of confidence in whatever art you do. All right, next, I just want to talk about defining success. How do you actually measure your success? Sometimes I define my success by things that I can't control. So I get tripped up when I measure my success by statistics or numbers, the number of people that listened to this podcast versus last week's podcast, right? By praise by criticism, other people's opinions, getting paid a certain amount of money. Okay, I could define my success by those things, and sometimes I actually do, but it always trips me up. It doesn't serve me very well. I want to encourage you instead to define success by some measure that you can control. I can measure success by whether I show up consistently every week by sending out my Tuesday podcast and my Wednesday email. I'm completely in charge of those things, so that's a great measure of success. So how will you measure success in whatever art that you do? Okay, now I want to move on to 
four things that sabotage our creativity. The first one is perfectionism. I know that when I try to write something and I'm consumed with trying to make it perfect, I'm constantly editing and revising, but it's still never good enough. And so what happens is I get stuck in this editing cycle and I never put my work out into the world because I'm too focused on it being perfect. So here are some helpful thoughts I'd like to offer you if you struggle with perfectionism for how to dial it back just a little bit. I'd rather be prolific, put a lot of artwork out there than perfect. I'll take prolific over perfection any day. Another good thought, this is a draft. It doesn't have to be a masterpiece. And finally, process over product, right? This is not necessarily about the end result, but it's about my growth, what I'm learning, who I'm becoming as I do this creative work. The next saboteur I want to talk about is people-pleasing. People-pleasing can really block our creativity. We're so afraid of rejection and being judged and misunderstood. So here are some thoughts to try on when we're stuck in this need to please other people. I'm showing up because it brings me joy. Rejection is inevitable. It doesn't mean anything's gone wrong here. What I create is not everyone's cup of tea, and that's okay. I am in the arena, and the critics aren't, and that's what matters. Let's talk about comparison. I call this comparisonitis. So when I am tempted to compare myself to other people, say to other coaches who maybe have been in business longer than I have and are making six or seven figures as a life coach, then I like to tell myself things like, I refuse to compare my work to another person's. Our journeys are our own. Creativity is not a zero-sum game. There's plenty to go around. So what if they've done something similar? I can bring it forth in my own unique way. I have something to contribute to this field as well. And another one I want to talk about, I was just coaching one of my clients on this today, and I hear it again and again with women, especially very accomplished women. And this one is imposter syndrome. So to the voice that tells me I'm an imposter, who are you to create this art? Who do you think you are? I say, I have a right to create as a human being. Remember, I'm created in the image of a creative God. I need no more qualifications than that. I also like to tell myself I can and must start before I feel ready or proficient at this. Mastery comes through the work itself. I don't need to wait on anyone else's permission. I also remind myself that nothing is original. I think of J.K. Rowling, who wrote the Harry Potter series, and compare her work to Jill Murphy's books, The Worst Witch, which came before the Harry Potter series. They are so similar. And yet I'm so glad that J.K. Rowling didn't allow this to stop her from creating Harry Potter, because don't we need more of that magic in the world? So Harry Potter and The Worst Witch have so much in common. They're both at this ancient castle that's surrounded by this enchanted forest. 
Harry is enrolled in Hogwarts, and Mildred Hubble is enrolled at Miss Cackle's Academy for Witches. They're both boarding schools. They have a lot of the same classes like potions and broomstick flying and charms. They both have arch enemies. They have cursed broomsticks and invisibility potions. They both have a main teacher that hates them. Untidy hair. Both have a benevolent, gray-haired, bespectacled headmistress or headmaster that are dear friends with the main characters and are addicted to sweets. They both have a sort of celebrity teacher. There's the Grand Wizard in The Worst Witch and Gilderoy Lockhart in Harry Potter. The point is, I'm so glad that J.K. Rowling, yes, who was probably inspired by Jill Murphy still created Harry Potter because she created it in her own way with her own unique vision. And the world is so blessed by this creative contribution. I can't imagine my life and my kids' lives without Harry Potter and the joy of that book series, as well as The Worst Witch. I love them both. And one other thing I want to address are setbacks and failures. What do you say to setbacks? What do you say to failures? I say decide ahead of time how you're going to approach them. Get your head on straight before you hit them because they're inevitable along the way. So to setbacks, I say, nothing's gone wrong here. This is to be expected. This detour is taking me in the right direction. It's not happening to me. It's happening for me. Something good is going to come out of this setback. To failure, I say the famous quote, failure lives in the neighborhood of success. When I fail, I learn, I improve, and I evolve. Thank you, failure. And I remind myself, this is an experiment, not a test. So I can't really fail it anyway. Failure just gets me closer to success. All right, I want to end by talking about the create, cleanse, consume cycle. And what I mean by this is that we need to have time in each of these buckets. We need to have time when we are being creative, when we are actually doing creative work, putting stuff out into the world that we've created. We also need time to just cleanse ourselves from that, to relax, to do nothing, to do frivolous stuff and to play. And then we also need some time to consume things that inspire us. If we're writing a book, we need time to read other books. If I'm creating a podcast, I need time to listen to other podcasts and to do research. This is all part of the consume cycle. So I want you to think about what you need in each of these buckets in order to be at your most creative. Let's start with the create cycle. So what are some things that spark and reward your own personal creativity? For me, there's certain music that sparks my creativity. I love Lorena McKennett. Her music always makes me feel inspired. When I'm being creative, I love drinking coffee, having a view outdoors. I love to have a clean desk. Doesn't happen very often, but when it does, I notice that I feel a little more creativity and clear. I feel clear-headed when it's organized. I love to have a whiteboard and colorful markers and post-its when I'm creating things. So what is it that you need to enhance the process? And speaking of process, I have this great quote from Elizabeth Gilbert that I just want to throw in here. 
Creativity itself doesn't care at all about results. The only thing it craves is the process. Learn to love the process and let whatever happens next happen without fussing too much about it. Work like a monk or a mule or some other representative metaphor for diligence. Love the work. Destiny will do what it wants with you regardless. That's such a great quote, right? Just create, just spend some time there in creativity mode. Here's another great quote by Steve Jobs. Creativity is just connecting things. When you ask creative people how they did something, they feel a little guilty because they didn't really do it. They just saw something. It seemed obvious to them after a while. That's because they were able to connect experiences they've had and synthesize new things. So the question is then, what is it for you that you need to surround yourself with in order to be in this place of creativity? Now, after we've done some creation, we need to cleanse. It's kind of like cleansing our palate after eating. Robert M. Persig said, boredom always precedes a period of great creativity. Isn't that true? And Wayne Dyer says that everything that's created comes out of silence. Your thoughts emerge from the nothingness of silence. Your words come out of this void. Your very essence emerged from emptiness. All creativity requires some stillness. So it's hard for some of us to be still to ratchet down all the things that we're doing. But I want you to write yourself some permission slips to be unproductive. What would this look like for you to just cleanse your creative palate? For me, it's morning prayer, meditation. I go on a daily walk and this really revives me, I find. Another thing is bubble baths, Vacations, I love vacations. They really broaden my perspective and open me up to brand new ideas, things I'd never thought of before. Playing with my kids and a date night with my husband, these help to cleanse. Playing with my cats and bunny. And just permission, just time to be unproductive and frivolous. So that is the cleanse cycle. What do you need in your cleanse cycle? And lastly, the consume cycle. This is the stuff that we like to consume for creativity. This reminds me of the term coined by Austin Kleon, which is creative kleptomania. (laughs) So we do need to consume other artists' work in order to increase our creative output. This is totally okay, allowable. In fact, it's necessary. Picasso said, good artists study and great artists steal. He said, art is theft. And T.S. Eliot said that immature poets imitate, mature poets steal, bad poets deface what they take, and good poets make it into something better or at least something different. I think this is very similar to what J.K. Rowling did when she took so many liberties from the work of Jill Murphy in The Worst Witch. It became an entirely new and different world. It was built upon another artist's shoulders. We all do this. David Bowie said, the only art I'll ever study is stuff I can steal from. All of these quotes, by the way, come from Austin Cleone's TED Talk here in Kansas City. Now, it's not the same thing as plagiarism. It's taking what someone has done and building upon it and changing it and shifting it and making it your own. 
Austin Cleone talks about how every creative project has its own genealogy. It has its own parents and grandparents that all commingle their DNA together to create that brand new thing that's being birthed in that particular creative form. So what do you need to consume in order to spark more creativity, to create that synergy that builds together and forms a new thing that you birth into the world? So for me, I consume podcasts, especially coaching-oriented ones. Sometimes I consume webinars and YouTube videos. My education was a form of consumption, right? It also required some creativity, for sure, as I wrote a lot of papers, but there was a lot of consumption going on as I took in new ideas. Being part of a mastermind and getting coached myself is part of my consume cycle. Reading books on coaching-related topics, studying other coaches' business models, my coaching circle, connecting with other coaches, all of these are part of the consume cycle in my life. So what happens when we spend too much time indulging in consumption, in over-consuming, is that we'll often feel like we're being productive, but we're not really getting anything done. And that's okay, as long as it's balanced out by creativity and by that period of cleansing. When we create, create, create all the time, and we don't take time to cleanse and to consume, then we just become burnt out. So there's got to be a balance between the three of them in order for our creativity to truly flourish. All right, you guys, that's it for this week. I want to wish you a beautiful, gorgeous Easter. And again, if you want to have a printable of my family's Easter Seder meal, which by the way, is just a creative conglomeration of other ones that I found on the internet and combined in my own unique way, you can find it at mojoformoms.com under get your free tools. Also, if you love this podcast, I hope you guys leave me a review. Guys, I do this free for y'all. So just... Hit me up with a review and rating, okay? Thanks so much. Bye-bye. If you want free tools to implement the ideas from today, visit my website at mojoformoms.com. It's custom designed to help you on your path to well-being. If you want to stay up to date on all the latest episodes of this podcast, go to iTunes or your favorite podcast app, the one already on your phone, then subscribe and help me out with a review and rating. As always, thanks for sharing your favorite episodes with friends. Until next week, I'm Wendy Connolly, and you've been listening to Mojo for Moms. <laughs>